Hello everyone, this is Sonali Mangal and welcome to another episode of Learn, Educate, Discover. On this podcast, we invite people from different professions on each of our episodes and we ask them a range of questions to try and understand what their job is all about. The goal of this podcast is to try and educate our listeners about as many different kind of jobs as we can so that someone listening to the show can decide does a certain job sound interesting to them and if yes, how do they go about exploring it further. Now on today's episode, we are going to be talking about consumer insights and market research in CPG, that is consumer products and goods industry. And to help us understand this space, our guest today is Michael Kirk, and he is a market researcher with Procter & Gamble. And Michael has over six years of experience working in this space with PNG, and he's worked with some very well-known brands. So as an example, he worked on Pantene for some time, uh, which I'm sure is a shampoo that you're all well familiar with. He worked on the Braun family of products for some time, which is the electronic grooming devices for men. And then more recently, he's been working on the fabric care innovation space, which consists of brands such as Tide and Ariel. So yes, he has a lot of experience. And in terms of his educational background, he has a bachelor's in business administration from University of Wisconsin-Madison and an MBA with a focus on marketing research from University of Wisconsin-Madison. So I hope you enjoyed this discussion and find it helpful. And with that, let's welcome Michael. Michael. Thank you. Hey, hello. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And in fact, we've had someone else from PNG on the podcast before. That was a brand manager. And in that discussion, it became very clear that very good market research and consumer insights are absolutely critical for the success of a brand. So I'm really looking forward to this discussion. Great. Me too. <laughs> All right. So to start things out, why don't you tell us a little bit about your career path so far and then what made you get into market research? Sure. So, um, quite uh, quite honestly, I, I started my career path out of uh, out of undergrad in sales, hmm. um, and what that taught me uh, were the nuts and bolts of business. But I I knew that being an introvert, um, that uh, sales wasn't the, <laughs> the long term outcome for me. So I went back and got my MBA, and I uh, I struggled between choosing between brand management and marketing research because uh, you know while I like playing a leadership role I also gravitate toward being a consultant and helping other people solve their problems um, being I guess somewhat of an advisor to to a lot of people in my life and so I chose marketing research and and a great place to go from there was uh, was PNG um, we've got a number of great brands uh, that, uh, are leaders in their, in their categories. Um, and so I felt like going to PNG, I could have a number of different careers within a career, um, and explore a number of different things. And so in my time there so far, I've, I've gotten to work on some great, uh, businesses and also some diverse businesses. So as you mentioned, I've worked on, on our Pantene business, mm -hmm. uh, which is our, our shampoos and conditioners. Um, and I've also worked on male grooming uh, with our Braun Shavers business. And most recently, for the past three and a half years, uh, have been involved in our innovation innovation work on our global fabric care business, which is tied in the U.S. and, and Ariel globally. 
All right. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you have a lot of experience in this space, and I really like this distinction that you brought out about being an advisor versus a leader. Where I'm guessing you're saying that a brand manager is the one who ultimately owns the brand, but then whoever is in market research plays a very critical role as an advisor, bringing in his or her set of insights that would help shape the brand strategy. So, so we'll talk about that.、Um, why don't you first tell us a little bit about like how would you describe the job of someone in market research? And specifically in the CPG industry, I think when you're in marketing research in the CPG industry, I think competence is assumed. So everybody assumes that you know how to do marketing research well. You know methodologies and things like that.、Um, and if you're going to rise above, you're going to be a true business partner、um, and a, a business leader within that.、Um, And so, what I think that that becomes is whether you're working with R and D or marketing or brand management or or even sales、uh, and finance for that matter, that you become a an excellent strategic partner, bringing with you the skills that that you have,、um, representing the voice of the consumer, representing the voice of the shopper,、um, to the table to to help people make decisions.、Um, and so, I, I think it. I've always kind of held the belief that if if my business partners and those other functions、uh, think that I'm doing a good job, it's because I'm being a great partner to them to to help us grow the business. Right? Can you can you maybe share an example of what a typical consumer insight would look like? Yeah, that's a great question.、Um, we tend to think of a consumer insight as something that is not necessarily known to our competition, so we kind of have a high bar for for what an insight is.、Um, I think it's uncovering a a problem or a a new opportunity with a specific type of consumer、uh, that hasn't been explored fully.、Hmm. Um, Certainly,、uh, a lot of external examples of this、um, in Silicon Valley in the startup world these days, of of startups up, you know, kind of disrupting mundane businesses. Call it call it Uber upsetting the 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 taxi cab industry, right? With something that is providing a, a unique piece of value to、uh, an existing consumer problem,、um, and I think. From my standpoint, an, an insight is is uncovering something that either we didn't know before, or our competition hasn't known before, that we can go and start working on solutions for for solving that problem for consumers. Yeah, that's actually very interesting. Can you、uh, and and I, I'm sort of、uh, stressing on an example, but whether it's from、uh, PNG or it's from any other industry, that's fine. But it'd be really great if you could share an example of how.、Uh, An unexpected market insight, like you suggested,、uh, has significantly, or even not as significantly, but has changed the product direction in some way. Sure. So,、um, you know, I work in in fabric care, and the bulk of our products are、uh, chemicals that go into a washing machine to care for clothes.、Um, but as the world has evolved, and, and I brought up Uber as an example,、um, there. A number of our consumers are connected in in many ways,、um, and the digitization of the world has enabled、uh, jobs to be done in in a lot of different ways. And so, one of the things that that we found was that as you look at people who live in an extreme urban environment,、um, a city like New York, a city like San Francisco,、um, you might be.
you know, pressed for space in a, in a city of very high rents. Um, and you might not have a washer and dryer in your unit. Um, in fact, in New York City, 80% of apartments don't have a washer and dryer in, in their unit. And mm-hmm. so the bulk of their clothes are washed outside of their home. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you think about that consumer context, you understand that, hey, there might be a different way to go about cleaning clothes than us providing the product that goes into a, a washing machine. Um, and certainly we weren't the first to the market, but understanding that a, a consumer living in that environment right. um, is really trying to, um, they're living in an urban environment for what they can take out of the city and the, the home is just their backstage. Um, and leveraging that insight, understanding that an, an app-based laundry uh, solution might be a better way of going about meeting their needs for getting their clothes clean right. in, in that context. And right. so we've actually got a, a business running in Chicago. It's been running for about a year and a half now um, called Tide Spin. And it, it's literally an app-based uh, laundry service uh, where you uh, engage with the app, much like you would with Uber or Airbnb or any of the other uh, right. apps that might be there to to accomplish the different things that you're trying to do in your life. Um, and we pick up and, and wash your clothes and, and bring them back for delivery. Oh, wow. Yeah, that is such so cool. So uh, it's it, almost having that insight allowed you to completely change the product. I mean, this is a very different solution from a, from a typical detergent, which you have to put in the, inside the washer dryer. That's very interesting. Um, how, you know, I'm curious to know, how would you learn something like this? Like, are, are you guys sort of inside homes of typical consumers? Like, how would you, how would you learn an insight like that? Yeah, definitely. So we, we definitely want to spend time with, with consumers in their context. But I think it starts with, you know, keeping a pulse on trends in the world. Um, and there are a number of different consumer groups that we feel like are, are most important for us to pay attention to. And, and those living in an urban environments are certainly one of those. Um, it's not just happening here in the U.S. where, you know, there's an upward trend for people living in an urban context. And it starts with young people, of course, first. But, you know, you, you see a lot of older people moving back into the city um, here in the U.S. Uh, as they retire, as their kids leave the home um, to take advantage of what the city has to offer. Um, but other consumer groups around the world that are really important to us, um, include aging, uh, baby boomers, um, as well as, uh, the rising middle and upper classes and in Asian countries. Um, and as we think about those trends for, for particular consumer groups around the world, and we think about the different environments and changing environments that they're being faced with, I, I mentioned digitization because of, of all the apps for just about everything that you want to do. That's a context that we, we put a consumer group through uh, to understand, hey, might, might, might we offer something different than I just see. liquid in a bottle, right? So when you say, um, and, uh, sorry, not to, cu- yeah, not to cut you off, but when you say you put, you observe a trend, uh, digitization, as uh, you suggested in the example, uh, you would put a consumer group through uh, a simulation of sorts. So is it that, you know, you would, is it that you take a group of uh, customers in that demographic and then you simulate some kind of an environment? No, not necessarily simu- uh, simulate at the start anyway, but understand 
that consumer group and, and how they're interfacing with that type of environmental change, right? And then, but understanding that trend and, and kind of limiting our focus to somebody like that in that context, hmm. then we might go spend time with them in that context, okay. right? Okay. I think it's, it's first about narrowing down and making choices and, and focusing on those big trends, um, not only the consumer groups, but the, the changes in their environments, but then going in and spending time with them in that environment that creates the insight. Um, so certainly it starts with kind of knowing who to go focus on, hmm. but then spending time with them as well um, and understanding what it's like in this particular context to keep clothes clean, to keep clothes in play uh, for the life that they want to lead. Right. And then how do you identify these trends? As in, are, are you uh, reading market research reports or uh, are you talking to customers? How do you identify that these are the big changes that are happening? Sure. Yeah, we, we definitely subscribe to publications and, and invest with uh, research suppliers who are experts in their fields for, for keeping us apprised of, of trends. Mm-hmm. Um, but in, in our innovation space, like I, I kind of hold a high bar for ourselves for being as externally focused uh, as we can be. Um, and to kind of read as much as we can, spend as much time as we can looking at other industries, uh, trend areas, uh, whether we're traveling for business or traveling for pleasure, just kind of keeping a pulse on what's going on in the world mm-hmm. um, and bringing that back in. Um, because without it, you know, I'll be I'll be humble and say that that P and G is a pretty slow moving <laughs> large company, yeah. right? And we do, you know, certain things well, um, and and but we have a pretty consistent business model, and that's that we make consumer products for the masses. Right. But as as the world evolves, we need to evolve too, and and I think that that starts with keeping an external lens. Yeah, yeah, that's helpful. So uh, I think what also helped is that if if we maybe take an example of a typical project, maybe a project that you worked on in the past. And then if you can walk us through the the activities that you engaged in as a market researcher uh, at each stage of the project. Yeah, so I think the, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll maybe shift gears and talk about a different project. Um, and that's that, you know, we actually started with a, a business need and we wanted to call it expand our, our vertical portfolio uh, within laundry detergent to understand if there was a need to uh, offer a product that, that provided different benefits than what our products provide today. Um, and so that, that's, that focus started with engaging with consumers who cared more about their clothes than other people. Um, it was a hypothesis that we had from the standpoint of, of thinking about consumers and thinking about where their emotion is, mm. where their involvement is. It's not with our products, but it's with the products that are, or it's with the garments that our products care for, right? Um, and so we started spending a lot of time with people who care a ton about their clothes. And at first, that started off with people who were wealthy. Mm. who had more money, who might wear more expensive brands. Um, but what that evolved into was was an understanding that you didn't necessarily have to have a lot of money to care a lot about your clothes. 
Um, and so we started spending more time with consumers in their environments and as they navigate their days, um, those consumers who just care a ton about their clothes. And what we found was their particular garments that they didn't feel confident washing uh, in mm. their machines within their homes or whether they live in an urban environment, um, machines outside of their homes. They just didn't have a, a ton of confidence for caring for them, but they were garments that they loved the most. Um, and so the first point of, of that becomes evolving a, a project to a detergent that cares specifically for specific garments. Hmm. Um, and the garments that kept coming to, to the surface were denims and activewear, as that's become a big trend. Um, delicate garments that maybe you'd feel uncomfortable throwing in the wash because they have an intricate knit structure or weave, mm -hmm. um, as well as garments that have multiple different colors within them. Um, and so our first solution to, once we understood that problem really well, was offering a, a specific set of products to care for those specific types of garments. And I think the, the important part about learning with that example is having a, a hypothesis, but having an open mind to, to changing what that might be. And then also really identifying your critical questions along the way and, and enabling uh, consumer research and learning plans that, that focus on specifically learning on that question. Being okay and open-minded to learning other things, but keeping your learning focused on, on addressing a, a particular question at a time. Right. Actually, this is great. And I have a lot of follow-up questions for you. So uh, just to make sure that I understood, uh, it's, I, I would imagine like a brand manager or someone came up to you and said that, hey, we think that there might be scope for a new product under the fabric air innovation space. Do you think that's the case? And you then was the hypothesis that we should go after people who care a ton about their clothes, that they might have slightly different needs. Like that was the hypothesis, right? So the, the question first actually came from a president okay. of ours. So it came from a very high level. Um, and the hypothesis was that people who have a lot of money mm. or spend a lot of money mm. on products in general, on our products, um, might be interested in a product that was super premium. So it started out as a business need, as a, business a business question. Need. I see. Okay. And then what it, what our job was, was to uncover the a, a consumer who had a problem, right? And in our hypothesis, you know, we went with that hypothesis at first and we spent some time with people who just had higher incomes. Mm -hmm. But we weren't really finding you know, a need or, or, or a problem there that wasn't met. Um, so we shifted gears and said, Hey, if somebody was willing to pay more for something, why, why would that be? Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I, I understand. Exactly. So I, I do want to, I, I want to understand, I want to understand how would you switch gears? I think because that's the critical thing. So you initially you had your hypothesis that maybe people who are richer and have more disposable income might be interested in a slightly more premium product, but that didn't turn out to be true. So how did you make that assessment? What were, like you said that it's very important to have two things over here. One is your hypothesis. And then two is what questions you're asking so as, so as to be able to come to a conclusion. So what questions did you ask to decide this? Yeah, no, that's great. And and honestly, it, it came from 
spending, you know, a pretty significant amount of money and time with, with consumers who had a lot of money in New York and not finding anything. Mm. Uh, but, but finding one consumer who just cared a ton about her clothes and was, uh, engaged in a number of different habits and, and different routines for, for taking care of those. I see. Um, and so it was, it was, it was first taking that consumer and then going back to the, the drawing board and understanding that, Hey, you know, people are not homogenous just because they have a certain income level. Right. Um, maybe the, the point that we need to pivot around is the person who cares a ton about their clothes. And we, we went back to her and we asked her, Hey, do you know other people like you who, who are engaged in these different routines, engaged in these different behaviors for caring for their clothes, who care a lot about their clothes? Um, and we started to kind of pivot and, and understand that, Hey, whether a lot of money or not, it's, it's really more about the clothes. It's more about the clothes. Yeah. And another thing which I'm curious about is that, how did you go about making these observations? So what I'm asking is, if I take uh, an, an analogy, when we are building out a software product, as an example, and you want to test, hey, is this well designed, then you might call a couple of sample users into your lab, and you observe them using the product, and you can see how they're interacting, how easily they're able to find things. In this case, however, this is not, you can't call people in a lab, I'm guessing. So how do you... Sure. How do you do that? Like, do you just give them, like, are you, are you on, on a phone with them? Like, how does it work? No, I, ideally we're, we're face to face, especially early on when we're mm. really exploring a new problem like this. Um, but honestly, part of my job in, in that scenario is, is to come up with questions and activities or, or even missions for that type of consumer to uncover the insights because we don't want to just rely on what they tell us, just their opinions, right? Because we know that the behaviors are much more powerful than the things that the consumers say. Um, and so it's, it's asking them to do things like pick out their three favorite garments from their wardrobe. Show me how you would care for these garments. I see. Um, and li- yeah. literally being in their, their home with them and watching them, go through their routine for, for what they might do to, to care for them. That is very interesting. Okay. And so there, as you observe them actually going through that use case that you identify, you might observe a lot of behavioral differences or unexpected behaviors, which they, which, which customers might not even think about sharing with you, but that's where your insight is. Exactly. For, for this particular project, it was about thinking about their favorite garments and also the garments that they had the toughest time or had the least confidence for mm. for caring for them. Got it. Okay. And so your output in this case was you figured out that, okay, it seems that there are certain specific kind of garments for based on whatever characteristics, which customers tend to care more for. And so they want something which can be used specifically for those garments. So as a market researcher, then is that your output, which you then give to the brand manager or the president in this case, and then you're sort of like, that's the project, end of the project? Well, that, that's kind of almost a starting point, not necessarily the, the end of the project, right? And so we first what we do is, is we go and we, we one, of, one of P&G's strengths is our R&D group uh, and the technologies that we've got developed there and the patents that we have developed there. And we 
understand what consumers are looking for. We, we really try to understand what that problem is, what the benefit is that they, that they need to get out of it in these particular garment spaces. And we interface, um, you know, in this, in this particular instance, I, I was playing both brand manager and marketing researcher. And so I was the commercial lead on this particular project. And I was interfacing with our, our technical, technical partners um, and explaining to them what the consumer was looking for and really collaborating to understand what prototypes might be uh, for us to consider uh, developing initially and then and then learning with consumers next, right? And so the next question is, is if we offered them something, um, you know, a, a denim-specific detergent or a, an activewear-specific detergent, um, would they be willing to buy it? Mm-hmm. And then once they tried it, what were their reactions and perceptions? Right. Did they right. notice a difference, um, whether actual or, or even perceived? Um, what was telling them that this was caring for their garments differently? Um, so that would have been the, the key next step for gotcha. us there. Yeah, that makes sense, right? So, I mean, I guess you're pretty much involved throughout the product life cycle or the brand life cycle where you started out in this case this was a new product launch not even a launch like first you had to identify what to build uh, then once you had some something in place then is what you're building effective or not and then how much will people pay for it so i'm sure that the questions kind of keep changing as you keep moving along exactly and yeah. and just to give you you know kind of where things went next once we developed that prototype we did an internal test to sell to employees, uh, where we charged, you know, a, uh-huh, a certain okay. premium for a product like this to see if people wanted to try it. Um, and oftentimes we'll do a lot of internal testing before we'll go external, but this project has also been on the market externally. Um, most recently on, on Amazon in a test, um, from I think it was December of last year through uh, July of this past year. Oh, I see. And you're testing whether people buy it. And I guess I'm guessing you're testing your price point. Exactly. Testing, testing price point, testing who buys, testing in what context that they buy, um, testing what they say about it when they buy. Um, exactly. Okay. All right. So, uh, throughout this project, so in this case, you mentioned that you were acting both as a researcher as well as a brand manager, but on a typical market research project, uh, are you working primarily with other researchers as you're trying to uncover the insights while you're also interfacing with other, other members in the company who are asking you for this information? Typically what it would be is, Myself and, and a brand manager partnered very closely okay. uh, in developing the proposition, developing the idea, what to go learn, uh, but then also interfacing with our technical partners for what that needs to look like, what, what the product needs to be, how it needs to come to life. Okay. Um, and very closely partnering with design as well to to help in, in that creative process. Hmm. Okay, that's helpful. All right. So I, I think, Michael, you gave us a really good overview of the job overall. Uh, do you see any significant changes taking place in this field in the coming years? I think the the changes I see uh, are the same changes that are coming for our consumers. And I talked a lot about digitization and how that changes lives and our, our interconnectivity. Um, 
I think how we capture uh, data and insights will speed up, will be enabled by technology, but I think there'll be an undercurrent of human interaction that will always be there that uh, that will kind of be the guiding force for innovation and for how we develop. And so I think that people in this field will need to keep a, a, a foot in that human interaction, that old school world, but also be up to speed with the latest technologies for how to capture insights and, and data quickly and, and, and deliver a competitive advantage for, for their companies right. or for their own companies, whomever they work for. Actually, that brings up a very good point. What, what kind of, I'm guessing you gather a lot of data, right? And a lot of, the, lot of this data, at least in this case, sounds like it's in the form of interview. So there's a lot of uh, sort of writing down or typing out notes from discussions. So how do you, how do you uh, come up, like, there's a, that's a lot of data, right? I'm guessing I'm asking, what tools do you use to finally derive insights? I think like when it comes to, you know, qualitative interviews, like I, I touched on a lot of, of being in home mm-hmm. with consumers or wherever they are in their context could be, you know, I've interviewed a lot of consumers just in coffee shops and things like that. Right. right. I think from, from those types of interviews, I'm looking for my three big takeaways or what did I learn that I didn't know before? Um, and really keeping it to a minimum of, you know, I don't want to know, I don't want to bring back the 10 things that I learned. I want to bring back the top three things that I learned. Um, because it's important to understand what can you really take action behind? Uh, and so keeping a focus on it that way, um, when it comes to more of a, a data and, and analytics standpoint, a lot of what we'll, we'll do in innovation is pay attention to habits and practices. And that might be a larger quantitative study where we're looking at, you know, 500 different data points and, mm. and things like that. There, again, though, it is what is the, the underlying theme that, that's coming through? with a particular type of consumer group in a particular type of context, whether that's, you know, washing conditions or garment types or uh, just what's new uh, about their lives that, that we can take and pull out. But even there, I'm, I'm really trying to keep a focus on what are the two, three, four things that, that we can really take action behind. Got it. I mean, is, is this ever a quantitative exercise? Like, does someone in market research need to be very familiar with statistical analysis, as an example? Yeah, I, I would say so. I, I think that the field is still largely grounded in that. Okay. Um, I, I happen to work in, in a space right now where it's a lot more qualitative, but it's not that I can shed that quantitative piece of it, but, mm. but certainly analytics and, and understanding the quantitative piece is a big part of it. And for most of the roles and for most of the previous roles that you touched on in, in my introduction, um, I spent a lot more time, uh, in that capacity. And Go so ahead. by all means, I, I think that marketing research professionals just need to be comfortable, uh, gravitating between different aspects and, and different skill sets. Mm. Um, but I think that, the ones who will deliver in the long term will have a well-rounded skill set over time. Yep, that makes sense. All right, so then let's get down to some of the more day-to-day aspects of the job. Uh, I mean, if I were to run into you on a typical day, what kind of activities would I find you engaging in? What kind of problems would I find you trying to solve? 
Ah, that's a great question. <laughs> um, and the first thing that I'll say is that uh, every day is different, <laughs> of yeah. course. Um, but uh, I'll just run you through my day today. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I spend a lot of my time in meetings, uh, as as most of us do in <laughs> in larger companies. Yeah. Um, but what I try to do is at least carve out a third of my day for, for thinking and, and what I call strategic time. Uh, and that's like taking a step back from, from the work and what do I really think about it? Um, but my day to day started with, uh, meetings on, on two particular projects that are, that are big innovation projects for us. Uh, one of them I can't go into a ton of detail on because it's very confidential. Um, but it's, a lot of the work that we do, particularly in the innovation space, um, which is, you know, in, where I work is projects that are three or more years from hitting market likely, um, is interfacing with our different multifunctional partners, talking mm-hmm. about what our critical questions are, me giving advice for what our learning plans should look like, um, me helping our brand manager think through uh, different go-to-market learning plans, um, and things like that. And, and a lot of those, those meetings are spent in, in discussion. Um, a lot of those discussions though involve, okay, how are we learning from the consumer, uh, to really kind of move the ball forward on this particular project. And that's where me and a brand manager really come into play and, and take the lead on that. Got it. Um, and in, in terms of the time that I spend a, away from meetings or away from, addressing questions that might come up uh, from emails and things like that. It is thinking about the trends that are impacting us, um, thinking about the problems that we're looking at within certain projects, um, and really keeping a close eye on what haven't we considered um, and keeping that off on the side and, and, and making sure that it doesn't go away and making sure that we don't lose that. Um, because I think a lot of times our success, uh, in, in looking at problems in a given space is going to be most, uh, contingent on keeping a wide frame for what the solutions might be. Um, and, and that I think over the long term will help a company like PNG be successful. Right. Yeah. This is very helpful. And, and, extrapolating what you said to let's say a project if i were to take you on a typical project how much time would you say you spend um, across the key things that you mentioned so you mentioned for example one big area is is the social not socializing but you're sort of reviewing the learning plan with various members of your team and you're iterating on it Uh, there's of course the actual research piece where you're observing consumers and talking to them and then there is this more strategic piece where you're thinking about, okay, what are the new trends, et cetera, et cetera. And maybe there's more. So how would you split your time in a typical project across these? Well, that's a great question. I think, so let's say, you know, I work between 40 and 50 hours a week. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's say a, a particular project gets 10 hours of my time a week. I'd say that probably two to three of that is is meeting and collaborating and, and working through things in discussion with the team. I'd say another two to three of that is spent talking to consumers externally, uh, getting input on the different ideas that we have or, or learning on the different questions that we need to learn on. I'd say another two to three of that is spent thinking. Like I, like I mentioned earlier, like 
I'm an, I'm an introvert. I need to take time away to, to digest what it is that's going on and, and take a step back from the work and, and really, you know, either keep the direction or think about changing the direction. And I think the last one to two hours is spent thinking about, okay, how do we guide senior leadership on what it is that we're learning? How right. do we keep them apprised and keep them excited about the path forward so that when it comes time for us to ask for resources, whether that be money or, or people to get the work done, that, that they're along for the journey as well. Right. That's helpful. Okay. Yeah. You got to communicate what you're doing to the leadership. Okay. So in, in this in, in the case of a market researcher, are there any metrics you guys are measured on? Like, how do you assess that, yeah, this guy is successful or gal and this one not so much? So uh, the way I evaluate myself is what would my business partners say about me? Um, the bar I always hold myself to is could they make a decision without me or do they want my point of view? Um, and when they come to me from my point of view, then I'm doing a good job. Mm. Right. And, and I know that that sounds very subjective, but that truly is in, in my mind, the definition of a, of a successful marketing researcher is can your leadership, does your leadership want to consult you before they make an important decision? And if they do, then you're doing a good job. But that's, uh, I would have get, imagined that they would always want to consult you, right? I mean, is it possible for a brand manager to just go ahead and launch a brand without talking to someone in research first? Sure. I uh, I think that any of us have our opinions and our, our beliefs and they can be grounded in data. Like a brand manager can make a decision and they have data at their fingertips too without, without needing marketing research mm. necessarily. Mm. Um, but if you build the credibility and, and build a great relationship with your business partners, they're going to want to come to you whether they have that data or not. And I, and I think that that's what's important. I see. Um, okay. it's, not a, it's not even about always being right necessarily. It's about demonstrating that you give deep thought to a problem and, and that you put the consumer first um, and that you listen you listen to their point of view um, and that you provide alternatives and, and ultimately provide a, not just alternatives, but give a, give a firm point of view, um, take and, and integrate, you know, the, the insights that you have from, from all the different sources that you have access to, but really provide them with sound advice for the path forward. Right. Actually, I think you bring up a very, very good point because there is, because, I mean, unless, you know, there is some kind of a mandate in the company that you cannot launch unless and until there is a market research person involved. Uh, I, I, you know, we had someone from UX research on the podcast. And I think if I remember correctly, he mentioned that, you know, a product manager can have this attitude where they think that, hey, you know, I, I need to meet a certain timeline. So I'm not going to go talk to someone in research and just bloat up my timeline. I already have whatever data I need. I have my own instincts and that's what I'll, do, I'll use to launch the product. In which case, it's very important. Like if you're a good researcher and you've established that value that you bring in, that's unlikely to happen. I think that's what you're alluding to here. Exactly. I, I think many decision makers... And, you know, I'll speak from, from, uh, from a P&G perspective. 
we have leaders who absolutely can make decisions without consulting marketing research. Right. Um, and I think, though, when they do have really strong marketing researchers, they do come to them for a double check. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's what is the difference. Right. Okay. That's very helpful. So in your opinion, then, what do you think are the most interesting aspects of this job? Um, particularly for me in, in the innovation space um, is just understanding humanity, getting to travel mm-hmm. and uh, get exposure to a number of different consumers living in different contexts. Um, it's both professionally rewarding, but also personally rewarding. Yeah. Um, I was telling somebody the other day, even though it was in this country, um, but one of my favorite interviews ever was uh, you know, a, a busy consumer uh, who happened to be working on Broadway oh, at the time, yeah. but he, he was somebody for, you know, whose opinion I, re- I really wanted on an idea. Um, and so I, I came to him, I, I met him and interviewed him backstage on Broadway. Um, and just the ability to kind <laughs> of think about having that type of an experience um, is is pretty exciting to me. Um, you know, I've gotten to see the world a little bit and, and certainly go to and visit cultures that I wouldn't understand unless I spent time there. Um, and not just in consumers' homes and, and in, in interviews, but really see the country and, and spend time in the country. And, and I think that, that that's really uh, been rewarding for me, yeah. at least in this particular innovation role. Yeah, that, that, that's actually a great answer because I can imagine that you get exposed to uh, people in all kinds of situations and circumstances, right? And I mean, I, I don't know if I don't know anyone who works in Broadway. So that would have been, I'm sure that was a great experience. Um, and, and it seems that you, even though you're based in the US, it seems that you're not talking to just US based uh, consumers, you're also talking to people outside. Exactly. Um, and I think that that's critically important. One of the consumer groups that I mentioned before, and, and certainly I do not think of them as a homogenous consumer group, but just a, just a broad subject is just, um, understanding different Asian populations, uh, what's going on in India, what's going on in China, what's going on in Korea and Japan, um, understanding what we can learn there. Um, and, Understanding that each one of those cultures that I brought up is distinctly different, not only just from each other, but even as you spend time in different parts of each of those countries uh, to understand, you know, first, you know, my practical lens is how to close get clean in those countries. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but even taking that, um, it can be very different even within those borders um, and certainly much different than the U.S. And I don't think that you can understand that by reading a book mm-hmm. um, or watching a YouTube video. I think you have to go and spend time in those places. Yeah. Actually, I, I have a question out of curiosity. Uh, you mentioned how you work on the fabric care innovation, which has both tied in the U.S. and then Ariel in some of the more Asian countries. So can you maybe share one, just one example is enough, how these two products are different based on some insight that you learned? Sure. Um, so Tide in the U.S. Uh, is a, a number one brand. Um, it's probably one of our most valuable brands. Um, it's a household name. Um, but Tide, everywhere else in the world, is more of a mid-tier brand. 
mm. uh, where where Ariel is the premium brand in in Asia or in in other countries around the world, like Tide is here. Um, but Ariel in many other countries is not necessarily the number one leading brand like like Tide is here. Um, it certainly has an equity and stands for cleaning and, and performance uh, with the technologies that we're able to build in um, with some of the patents and, and technologies that we have that we've developed in R&D. Um, but a, a lot of times when we go and learn in markets like like Japan or, or like in China, um, we're facing competition from many local companies uh, where we don't have the share advantage that we do with the tide in the U.S. and and it uh, the dynamics of business are can be vastly different. Um, right. And so when we think about learning and we think about driving business growth in, in those markets, it's important to take them uh, at 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 their own specific face value versus try to you know compare it to tide in the U.S. Got it. Okay. All right. Uh, are there any aspects about this job that you do not like? Do not like. Um, I I will I will say this, and and I'll caveat it by saying that I I love working for PNG because of uh, all the different opportunities and the businesses that I get to work on. But I think one of the drawbacks of of any big company is that we're slow. Mm-hmm. Um, and so even though folks like me and and Utam are working on speeding up that innovation process within one of our most important categories at, at PNG. Um, it doesn't come overnight. Uh, it comes with working on things internally to make us faster. Um, and, and so I wouldn't say that, you know, I, I, I don't like it. I, I guess what I would say is I like the challenge of speeding us up. Uh, so I, I'll push you on that a little bit. So I mean, I completely understand that PNG, and I mean, a lot of large companies then tend to have certain processes in place which can slow things down. But is there anything about market research specifically that you do not like? Or, or you know, maybe you don't hate it, but, you know, you're not a big fan either. Yeah, I, th- I think that what I've, what I've found in this space um, is that I think Typically, what I wouldn't like about marketing research is that you're influencing a decision, not necessarily making it. Right. Um, what I've what I've found most in the innovation space, though, is that I'm not only influencing decisions; sometimes I'm making them too. Um, and for me, it's personally, it's important to be able to tap into both. Um, I, I think I think if you're being a good business partner, you're you're playing the role that's needed to drive the business forward. I think most often marketing research is a support function to brand management. Mm. Um, what I've found is that I'm not just okay with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I want a little bit more of it too. And, and I think what I found in innovation is, a, is an ability to do both. Um, but if I would say there's one thing about marketing research that if you're unsure about uh being the supporter versus being the leader and, and making the decisions. Um, that's the thing. Yeah, I know that that's a great answer. And I think that's something very important for someone to think about uh, because it, it could make a big difference in how you experience the job. Um, 
do you find people making any common mistakes in this job uh, perhaps when they're early on in their careers i think the the most common mistake i find is thinking of things as black and white or not understanding when to trust the data uh, versus when to trust your intuition and your wisdom and experience. Um, there are certain quantitative studies. We talk about statistical significance. Um, and I still see people, even, even senior people sometimes when there's not a statistically significant difference between how a certain concept scores versus another and they report directional differences. Um, it's really not necessarily okay to report that. Yeah. Um, more the conclusion is there was no difference. Um, and so most often what I see is um, people saying things that the, the data do not um, or people not knowing, you know, when a certain design or a methodology was not necessarily the right approach, um, but they follow the conclusion anyway. Right, right. Yeah, the, I mean, I guess just having a lot of uh, grasp over these various statistical concepts becomes very important because I guess it's very easy to be biased, right? Like you might go in with a certain bias that you want a certain conclusion to come true. And as soon as you see even a few data points pointing towards that conclusion, you might want to just say that, yeah, that's what it is, when you might need to collect more data. Exactly. Or you're feeling pressure from your business Mm, partners. You know, we've talked a lot about how you work in in close connection with your brand manager. Um, If your brand manager or, you know, senior marketing executive, if you know that they have a certain point of view, um, you're trying to support that. Mm. Right. And so if you're wanting to be a good business partner, though, you're giving them what you honestly take from the learning that you've developed or you tell them, look, I don't know enough to help you make this decision yet. I think we should do this instead. Um, you've really got to be uh, objective with the, with the point of view that you provide and not be jaded by what you know they already uh-huh. believe. That's a great point. Yeah. And I think that's where this whole aspect of being able to build a great relationship and adding value as a business partner comes in because the more you begin, you are seen as this person who has an independent point of view. Uh, I, I'm guessing good brand managers should respect that. Yeah, I think so. And, and if you think about good brand, brand managers, they're becoming good general managers and, and possibly ultimately CEOs. And I think that any CEO worth their salt would tell you that they want people to disagree with them more than they want them to agree with them. Um, They always want to be, you know, putting their points of view up against uh, a a competing or an alternative point of view to really flesh out what what the understanding and what the learning is. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I I think it's a it's a give and take. But I, I think from a marketing research perspective, you really have to know when to trust the data and when to trust your experience and what you've seen across a number of different studies or a number of different pieces of learning or a number of different interviews with consumers to really bring a holistic point of view uh, that's objective and that you really feel like you'd put your own money behind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you can also tell us a little bit about what the typical career path is. So 
are there sort of various levels of uh, of a market researcher and then eventually where can you end up? Sure. So I think um, at, a, at a basic level, uh, yes, there are uh, different seniority levels within marketing research. And they're typically tied to who you're supporting from a marketing standpoint, so from a brand management standpoint. Mm, okay. And so um, early on in your career, you'll be tied to supporting a brand manager, let's say. Um, and then later in your career, um, as you have successes and, and you develop, you'll be uh, supporting a, a vice president or general manager. Um, and ultimately, uh, the higher up you go, uh, ultimately the CEO. Uh, you would be, uh, you know, the senior marketing researcher in charge of the discipline or the function within the company. Got it. Um, and this is kind of common w- within CPG. I, I think um, the thing that I'd highlight about uh, a lot of CPGs, or at least the larger ones, is typically there are a lot of different businesses, a lot of different categories, um, and you can explore paths of breadth where you work across a lot of different businesses. Um, so we've talked about the fact that I've worked in hair care, uh, shave care, um, and fabric care. So that's an example of breadth. Um, but I think that in my six years at P&G now, I've, I've spent three and a half of that in this innovation role in fabric care. And, and so you start to see me finding a, a place where I really feel passionate about it. And um, I'm trying to develop a deep expertise uh, in our innovation capability uh, and the insights that we develop here, um, and so that that path can can meander at times as yeah. well as you move up. That makes sense. Okay, so then I just have a few more questions from the point of view of someone who might be interested in exploring this space. So, uh, first of all, in your opinion, what kind of person do you think would really enjoy working as a market researcher? Like, what qualities would you see in that person? Um, I'll highlight two, and I think that they're very related. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first quality, I think, is is somebody who's curious. Mm-hmm. Somebody who's naturally curious, who's asking questions, who's digging to find answers. Um, and then the, the related piece is a problem solver. Um, somebody who's got a bit of a, an engineer in, in the back of their mind, uh, working to think through how to solve a particular problem or who's up to the challenge of, of answering a difficult question. Mm. Um, so I'd, I'd highlight curiosity and problem solving. So, so that's great, but I am going to push you on that again a little bit because so the reason I asked this question is that a lot of times uh, uh, things which uh, things might not be very obvious to someone who's on the outside that this is what it takes to be good at this job. Uh, so it just based on what you just told me right now in this discussion, to me, it sounds like you also need to be someone who's so curious, yes, but also curious about humans. Right? You need to be someone who is interested in people and who, who is probably very comfortable with interacting with a lot of people. Like it, it shouldn't bore you to sit and talk to, let's say, 20, 30 people in a day learning about how they wash clothes. Yeah, I think... Um... Maybe a, a better way to, to describe it is I, I see people be successful in this field with uh, a background in anthropology mm. or sociology or psychology, right? And so they're the social sciences. 
I also see people be successful in this field with an engineering background. Um, I also see people be successful in this field with um, maybe a major in English, somebody who can write really well and tell the story of a consumer. Um, And so I think that there's a diverse set of people who can be successful, but, but they all tap into something that's important about being a marketing researcher and, and really tapping into that curiosity, but not just being curious, but also being able to share it back and, and share it with others um, to influence and, and help make decisions. Yeah, the storytelling piece actually is very important. And I, we didn't talk a lot about this, but it's not just being able to find the right insight, which is where the curiosity piece comes in. But then you also have to build a story and a really compelling story out of it so that your brand manager or whoever decides to change his decision if that's needed. So you need to be good at that also. Okay. Uh, And so I guess you've already told us a little bit about what is a typical background then. So the background seems to be either engineering, some of the social sciences or something which helps you just uh, like write good copy, whether that's English or maybe philosophy, I don't know, like, is there something like a typical background? Exactly. And, and, you know, I didn't bring up a business background, but certainly that's, I kind of take that as, as a given that's, that's very common, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, if you're studying business in undergrad, or even in grad school, um, probably you're going into marketing research, if you were more interested in marketing. Mm -hmm. Uh, But we see a lot of people, um, have a strong financial acumen, you know, in marketing research. We do a lot with statistics. We do a lot with volume forecasting. Um, and, and there's a lot of overlap there as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so the business background is, is common as well. But I think that it, it comes with, you know, skill sets and, and people from those other disciplines can be truly successful and sometimes more successful in marketing research um, because those are some of the important qualities. Right. Okay. Uh, and have you noticed like the researchers who really stand out, is there anything that they do differently? Something that you've noticed? They communicate in a simple way. Um, so a lot of times we're taking information from quantitative studies or, or qualitative engagements with consumers um, and distilling that into one recommendation. And the more you can simply paint the picture or simply write what it is that we should do, uh, the better off you are. Um, so I'd say using, using fewer words, um, conveying it in a, in a compelling and and pithy and, and simple way um, is is what really sets mm. people apart. I, yeah. I um, I'll give an example um, of a training that uh, that I give to to some of the people in our organization. It's literally called uh, "Convey it as you're communicating to a six year old." Mm-hmm. Um, and I drew inspiration from my daughter when she was six, asking me what it was that I really did for a living. And I had just started at PNG at the time. Um, and I told her, I thought about it for a minute and I told her, I said, well, I, I read, I do some math and I, and I write. 
It's pretty much the, the basics of education, right? Um, but that was the the simplest way I could think of to tell her about what, what really is it is that I do. Um, and I think it's it's no different with people who are extremely successful in business. We have executives many levels above me that, you know, they're still human beings um, to help them make a decision um, in a short amount of time because they only have so much, you know, their time is spread so thin. You've got to make it as simple as possible and easy as possible for them to to make the right call. Right. Yeah, no, I, I, this is a very, very good point. And I think it goes back to the storytelling piece that you talked about. Uh, you have to make sure that the other person is understanding the insight that you're bringing in. Um, are there any resources that you'd like to recommend uh, for someone who wants to learn more about the space or maybe prepare for interviews? Yeah, I think on LinkedIn, there are a number of professional organizations to follow. Um, uh, can I, you share think, any examples? Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I was just asking, do, do you remember any names which come to mind? Um, there's an event every year. It's called the Marketing Research Event. It's it's literally called just that. Um, and it's a who's who of the different companies uh, coming together. Um, and I think they, they hold a conference every year. Um, mm. There is my alma mater who holds... Uh, it was one of the only marketing research MBA programs uh, in the country, uh, oh, okay. the AC Nielsen Center at Wisconsin. Um, and they hold a summit every two years, uh, which is bringing a lot of different people from different aspects of the the community um, into Madison, Wisconsin, uh, over a two-day period um, to learn from each other. Um, there are publications out there like Quirks. Um, Q U I R K apostrophe S okay. um, that are are good to tap into uh, and to keep in touch with. Um, but I I think that the thing that that I've found most helpful recently is just tapping into uh, the startup community and and different things that different companies and innovative companies are doing to not only collect data in the marketing research industry but how are other industries innovating and evolving and, and how that changes the job of, of marketing research as well. And so, you know, I'll follow organizations uh, in the Silicon Valley area or even um, more locally, like, uh, you know, organizations like built in Chicago um, mm-hmm. uh, for the startup community in Chicago. Interesting. Yeah. So you're trying to see how those companies might be approaching research in a slightly different way and see if you can apply that to CPG and the work that you're doing. Exactly. The more the more we can look outside and, and learn from how other industries are innovating, hmm. uh, the more we can bring that back in and, and try some different things on to, to move faster. Have you have you found anything like something simple that you can share that you found was, hey, wow, that's that's a unique way of doing things? Ah, that's a really good question. And I think a, a lot of times, you know, we, we'll throw the the buzzwords around about lean startup and things like that. Mm-hmm. But really, Eric Reese and lean startup, it was all founded on on software development and things like that. And and there are some things that are reapplicable, but a lot of things that are that are very different. I think that the the one thing that I that I read recently that really struck with me was uh, from IDEO, the the design firm right. um, that's based out there by you. Um, 
And what it talked about was it's not it's not necessarily the traditional stage gate innovation cycle that most CPGs are comfortable with, and it's not necessarily the lean startup aspect either. Um, it's some hybrid in the middle, but but the basics come back to identifying a problem and and figuring out what type of consumer has that problem the most and keeping a vast set of solutions and as options open for how you might address that problem. Not narrowing down on that solution too quickly, right. really understanding the problem well, um, and, and keeping a number of different options open as to what the solution might become. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's hard to train your mind to do that, right? But that that's how I guess you can come across or you can get to a very, very unique and different solution as opposed to just jumping to conclusions. I also want to understand that if let's say someone is contemplating uh, getting into market research, is there a way to test the waters, like to tr- just assess that, will I enjoy doing this or not before getting into it? I think the easiest and, and most cost-effective way to do that is um, leveraging your own network and, and trying to identify people who are already working in the field um, and asking to speak with them. Um, I think one of the human truths that I've found in this field is that people like to talk about themselves mm-hmm. um, and people like to help you. Um, and so I think that that's the first place to start. Um, so my, my first recommendation is, is asking to just interview other professionals in the field. Um, I think, you know, it, it could be another second step to maybe follow some of those organizations that I mentioned, whether on LinkedIn or through some other social media forum. Um, but I think those would be the places I'd start. And I, I can't emphasize enough just talking to somebody who, um, is experienced in the field, but also somebody who's new to the field, just a, a somebody who will have a different set of experiences mm. uh, within marketing research. I, I think that's got to be the most valuable. Yeah. And if you don't enjoy doing it and interviewing all the people, then I guess market research is not the right field for you. Um, all right. So in, in terms of applying, uh, just do, should I just go on the website and apply for a job opening or should I try and get a referral or should I do something else? Yeah, I guess it depends on where you want to work, right? Um, I think, you know, when I was deciding where I wanted to go get my MBA, um, it was about understanding what companies are coming to recruit there. Um, and in the Midwest, at a Big Ten school, yes, you do have a lot of CPGs from Chicago mm-hmm. or Minneapolis or PNG in Cincinnati that are recruiting from those schools. Um and that's an MBA specific choice of, you know, where do you think you want to go work um, and what companies are coming to recruit from there? I think it's it's also true of undergrad to a certain degree. It's it's what part of the country and what companies are coming there to recruit. Um, outside of that, um, I can't emphasize enough, uh, as I mentioned before, just just networking and making connections with the right people, even if you're shy. Um, you know, it doesn't hurt to have a one-on-one conversation. Even an introvert is comfortable with that. Um, it's not about going to, to networking events where there's hundreds of people. It's, it's about making quality connections, um, and being proactive about what it is that you want and, and 
maybe getting a foot in the door that way. If, if that's a field that you want to pursue, um, I can say that most of the big CPGs are, are probably starting first or your best likelihood is, is through uh, a university. Um, it's, it's the easiest way in and largely it's because that's, that's been our model for, for recruiting, not just marketing research, but brand management and finance and R and D the others as well. Right. Um, if you're looking to get into a tech company, that might be a, a different story. Yeah. Um, exactly. That's helpful. And is there a way a candidate can stand out? So uh, let's say you haven't done market research before. Uh, what what should I ha- highlight on my resume? Should I be giving you something else in my application which will help you take notice of my application? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, so one of the, the things that I initially thought was a drawback for me um, when I was getting into marketing research was I had a sales background. Hmm. I was making a career change and um, I was interviewing for jobs alongside people who had some marketing research background. Right. But what I, what I found, and particularly you know, as most companies engage in behavioral interviews and things like that and, and looking for um, certain types of behaviors from you uh, for how you approach different situations, what I found with sales uh, that I could reapply to marketing research is, is you know, identifying areas where I was able to influence people to take a certain action, um, where I was able to collaborate with, with people um, to solve a problem. Um, highlighting examples like that of where you can translate from your own background to what might make you a good fit. Right. Um, even if you don't have a ton of work experience, examples of where you're demonstrating that ability to communicate, not just telling somebody you have communication skills. We, we, we might all say that, right? But like actually showing somebody what you've done and highlighting experiences that you have that, that directly translate to that field. Yeah, actually, that's great advice because, I mean, you're clearly saying that it's not necessary to have that particular experience in your background. If you can understand what are the skills that are needed for the job that I want to get into and then what are the experience, experiences in my past that I can use to demonstrate that, yes, I have some of those skills. So I may not have everything, but I have a lot of them. Uh, so that can help you make your case. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Well, this was great, Michael. Really, this was wonderful. And I really enjoyed the discussion. Any other parting advice you'd like to share with someone who might be interested in getting into market research? I think the the addendum I'd add to that last discussion we had is also thinking about you um, and really knowing yourself well um, and asking the right questions to understand if a particular employer or if marketing research is, is right for you. Um, really trying to get an understanding for that culture um, and what that's like and, and, and is that a fit for you is just as important as, uh, you know, getting is, is that employer seeing a good fit in you. Mm. Um, they have to be a good fit for you too. Otherwise, you won't be happy. Um, and don't discount that at all. That's that, a, that'd be the last yeah. point I'd, I'd mention. That's a very good point. And actually, that does bring up a follow-up question that uh, do you see – certain companies or certain industries uh, being sort of the gold standard as far as market research is concerned? I think, I don't want to pat us on the back, but I think just because of our size and the size of marketing research within P&G, 
we've long been considered a leader um, among CPGs uh, for innovating in the field, for just you know leveraging the latest and greatest tools and um, leveraging the best partners and things like that. But I, I honestly, at this point, I, I look back and I see a ton of parity um, across CPGs. But I think you can look to some of the big consulting firms for pushing the envelope in terms of different types of methodologies and things like that. I'm talking about the McKinsey's, the mm-hmm. Boston Consulting Groups, the Baines, um, et cetera. Um, but I, I think the ones that will win in the end will still recognize uh, the point I made before, and that's leveraging the latest and greatest technologies, leveraging the, the latest methodologies, pushing the envelope there, but that still really understand human beings at their core. Um, and not forgetting that, um, as we have so many machines for learning, <laughs> but really understanding human beings at their core, yeah. the, the companies that focus on that will do the best. Yep. All right. Thank you so much, Michael. And, uh, yeah, take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you. All right, so that was Michael on Consumer Insights and Market Research in CPG. I hope you enjoyed today's discussion. And of course, if you have any questions at all for Michael or for me, you can email us at hello at learneducatediscover.com or tweet at us at LED underscore curator. If you enjoyed today's discussion, you should share it. Share it on LinkedIn, on Facebook, on Twitter, on email. Simply take the link to the discussion on the website learneducatediscover.com and go ahead and share it. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter on our website where we share updates on latest episodes as well as other helpful career resources. So go check it out at learneducatediscover.com. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash learneducatediscover and you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud or Stitcher or wherever you listen to your podcast. All right, that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening and for your time. And until the next one, bye-bye.